Hi there, and welcome to the Human Nurture Podcast. This is Season 1, Episode 2, and in this season we are looking at PACT in Theory. PACT is a psychobiological approach to couples therapy, and each episode is looking at the theory behind it and interviewing an expert in that theory. So today we're going to be talking to David K. Reynolds. David is the creator of Constructive Living. We will lead things off with an interview with Stan that will give you plenty of background on what constructive living is and how to think about the interview with David K. Reynolds. As an introduction, I just want to say that talking to David was a real treat. It was like being led by uh, a really, really well-trained dance instructor. Every move I made went back into the constructive living frame, and it all of a sudden becomes a certain kind of dance where I'm think, I was thinking through his perspective, and his perspective is one of really making a shift from the first person, which we are just so designed to do, to a third person perspective. And so much of our work in PACT is about helping couples to take this third person perspective and see things from the perspective of the couple as opposed to as from our individual perspectives. So I really hope you enjoy this. Uh, one other note, the sound is crappy. It was a telephone interview and my first interview. And so um, bear with me. They get better as the season goes along. Um, but I think the content is really wonderful, and I hope you enjoy. Take care. Welcome, Stan. We're talking now about constructive living, Nikon, and Morita. Um, and, um, I just, you know, I mean, I think the thing that, that strikes me about Nikon and Marita and constructive living is that I had never heard of it before. Um, <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, I think the first exposure I had to it was in the, when I attended the, um, the, uh, Wired for Love retreat with my wife and there's a, the, uh, the, the Nikon practice is in, is, is part of that workbook. Um, mm-hmm. How did you get exposed to it? How did it, how how did you find it? Well, it, it's interesting because uh, maybe you've found this, Jason. Uh, um, uh, sometimes you find yourself involved in something only to find that you actually became introduced to it years earlier mm-hmm. and didn't realize it. And uh, that happened with uh, Masterson. That happened with Alan Shore. That happened with David K. Reynolds and Constructive Living. So. Uh, I uh, somehow became exposed to it, attracted to it, and I started reading David's uh, books, which are, by the way, a delight to read. They're very easy. Um, and uh, and uh, like what he's writing about, they flow, right? Uh, the flow is very good. And, and they're intuitively easy to get. Um, they're also very attractive because he's talking, let's talk about Marita for a moment. Um, uh, Shomo Morita is a contemporary of Freud and uh, the Japanese um, uh, in the Japanese culture, it's very much in line, in line with the culture uh, is not looking at the unconscious, not looking at, uh, uh, you know, internal structures, right? Uh, it's looking at life and how to interface with life, how to get along with life, how to understand one's own mind how to understand the nature of all mind. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, uh, it had a lot in common with Zen Buddhism. Um, 
And so I was attracted to the simplicity, and I suppose it was something I needed in my life at that time, uh, because uh, uh, Marita uh, is focused on two things. One is paying very close attention uh, to detail in the outer world, not the inner world, um, uh, and accepting things as they are. And uh, here, accepting things uh, as they are are things that you cannot control. You can't control thoughts. You can't control feelings. Feelings and thoughts happen. And uh, and if you live your life according to the uh, the ever-changing, erupting, and fading thoughts and and feelings, then your life becomes like the nature of those things. Uh, it's a roller coaster. And that the only way to really live life is to focus outward, to be purpose-centered, and to uh, basically, uh, even though he's not speaking directly of equanimity, it's, bas it's basically treating with equanimity that which you cannot do anything about. Uh, kind of like the serenity prayer in AA, you know, uh, you know, what can you do and what can't you do? Don't spend your time wrestling with things you can't do anything about when you ignore what you can do. So other things that attracted me, this is pre-Nike, uh, is basically feel the fear and do it anyway. Mm -hmm. Be depressed and go out anyway. Be sad and interface with people anyway, because that needs to be done, right? Uh, you're focusing on what needs to be done, not what you feel like doing. And if you do that, life becomes more even. Life becomes, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, um, you know, n not uh, something to withdraw from, be afraid of. Uh, um, uh, and and so it 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 really appealed to me. Uh, and so I went into the the training with David. David is uh, is a, a very um, interesting figure. He, uh, he he does not like to be out there in the public. Um, he was a, a UCLA uh, professor and researcher, and uh, more along the cognitive behavioral side of behavioral sciences. And uh, and uh, he he did one study on depression and suicide uh, by putting himself in a mental hospital mm -hmm. um, as an experiment, and that if he if he acted depressed, if he did all the behaviors of depression, could he actually get himself um, uh, into a major uh, depression? Um, and he did, uh, even became suicidal. And so, uh, uh, so he, he started to see that, that behavior attitude sort of wagged the tail of feeling. And, um, uh, and that set him off. On this whole thing plus he was enamored with japanese culture he wrote um, a book about that too i'll just add the, he wrote a book about his experience i think it was his thesis about his experience um you know with with um his suicide experience right yes uh, and, and and he's uh, uh he's he's a very interesting character who again doesn't want to be famous doesn't want to be known he wants people to be attracted to what he's writing about, and if they're attracted, they'll find him. So I found him. I had to look for him, and uh, and then I ended up going through through a residential training at a house with a bunch of other trainees, and that was an amazing experience in my life. Um, 
you know, it, I, I won't say it was entirely pleasant uh, because w w when you start to uh, focus in this way, when you are purpose-centered, when you have tasks, when you are constantly um, uh, putting your attention outward continuously, uh, then the uh, feelings really begin to uh, uh, come up and uh, uh, in such a way that, uh, you know, you either get distracted by them and depressed or anxious, um, or you deal with them in the way that Marita suggests, and that is to accept them as they are and to continue doing uh, what needs to be done. And, um, uh, and so I suddenly understood why people are addicted to thought <laughs> because uh, because there isn't there is kind of an existential crisis that comes with being fully present all the time, um, right? It, you know, our our thinking and our uh, you know our our welcome distractions many times uh, from the uh, the awareness of constantly what's going on in our bodies and our mind. Um, you know, gets us away. So, uh, so I was really impressed with that out, outside meditation, which is exactly what we used as therapists uh, instead of insight meditation. Uh, we're focused on faces, movements, bodies, micro expressions, micro movements, very uh, you know subtle details continuously as we scan the couple for clues while relaxing our bodies. Right. And so that is uh, taken directly from Morita. Um, so so uh, Morita is a legitimate way of dealing with uh, with uh, neuroticism uh, in Japan. It's called Shinkashitsu um, uh, or, you know, a kind of a greediness for life. Um, which is expecting too much, right? Mm. <laughs> um, mm. And being disappointed. Uh, and so uh, uh, that's one side of constructive living. David also brought something called Nikon. And uh, Nikon is, is a little more Western-like uh, in the sense that the, the practice, though meditative, is intended to evoke gratitude and that gratitude of course is considered the opposite of misery you can't be miserable and grateful at the same time and uh, what's lovely about everything i'm talking about is that we have uh, even recent studies now that prove this point um, we have uh, studies that uh, that uh, uh, gratitude in cultivating gratitude uh, is helpful, uh, is an antidote for inflammation in the brain, in the body, is an antidote for, uh, for the neuroendocrine stress system, and, uh, and that it is a necessary condition for happiness. Um, loving kindness meditation has been studied now uh, you know, in, in brain scans and has shown also to change uh, people uh, in, for the better, um, their uh, immune system function. And again, reducing inflammation. So there's something to be said for it, but at that time I didn't know uh, about that. Uh, Nikon uh, basically suggests that the human condition is fundamentally selfish, fundamentally always aware of what is missing, what I don't have, what I, you know, the, the raw deal I'm getting. 
and ignores an, an equal awareness of what I am getting all the time. And by ignoring that, I suffer. By ignoring that, I feel existentially alone. By ignoring that, I don't feel supported. Um, and so, it, it, you know, Nikon says, if you're gonna do an archeological dig on your history, you might as well do a full one and include everything you're actually getting. So it kind of goes like this. You take a piece of paper, you draw, you draw three columns. One column, the first column is what I got from or what, uh, what it, she, or he gave me, right? Mm -hmm. And I say it because you could do Nikon on, on, um, on things, right? Mm -hmm. On things. Like water. Um, like yeah. water. Yeah, exactly. In the interview, David does it around water. It's beautiful the way he talks about it. Keep going. Um, uh, and then the next column is what I gave her, him, it, right? And the third column is the trouble I caused him or her or it. And the fourth column is missing because it assumes that that's what we practice day in and day out is what the trouble I was caused. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's left out. And the meditation is traditionally is to take in three month or three year increments uh, a person, let's say you start in your childhood, uh, what uh, my mother gave me, for instance, in the first three years. Uh, and I list everything before moving on. I list everything that uh, she gave me um, specifically. And, uh, and then uh, in the next column, everything I gave her in the first uh, three years of life, specifically, other than my poop. Um, and then the trouble I caused her in the first three years. Um, and what I'll find as I move through uh, my life incrementally is that the first column is always the longest, uh, what she gave me. Uh, second uh, longest uh, is the trouble I caused her. Um, it could be the first uh, longest, um, but definitely never the longest is what I gave her. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it makes me aware that despite myself, I'm constantly being given things uh, by the person I have maligned or the person I feel that I, I, you know, I didn't get enough from. That when I really do an accounting, that it's not true. Um, that uh, I have much more to feel grateful for and more to feel sorry about in terms of my tr treatment of that person or thing. Um, which gives rise to a sense of, of proper guilt um, and makes me want to give back, makes mm -hmm. me want to apologize. And there's more to the process than I'm saying. But you can do daily Nikon. You can, you know, write down uh, uh, what people gave, uh, you know, I can write down what people gave me during the day. And the beauty of Nikon is that it's divorced of the attitude of the person giving this thing. So I had a waiter who was really nasty to me, but I was served. And in Nikon, I cannot ignore the fact that despite the attitude, I was served. And so I leave the attitude out. And uh, uh, right. And so that, that does something quite magical to my psyche and my spirit that uh, that I'm constantly being given more than I'm, uh, than I'm giving. I'm constantly being supported every day by people 
that I've never even met. Uh, this get, ties into Thich Nhat Hanh's work mm-hmm. um, that, you know, uh, I'm Stan made up of non-Stan elements and that there are so many people responsible for my liveliness, the people who made my clothes, the people who made it possible for me to use transportation. Uh, so many people that are uh, allowing me to do the things I do in my life and I never give it a thought, right? Mm-hmm. Nikon forces that. And, um, and good for Nikon because we need a practice to do that. Otherwise, we don't naturally do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like going to the gym. It only works so long as you go. Or meditation only works so long as you do it. Nikon is something you do every day. And you can do it with your partner. You take the last three months. What did he give me the last three months? Be very specific. What did I give him? What trouble did I cause? And, and that changes the game. It changes my attitude. It changes my state to one of, despite everything, um, I'm blessed. <laughs> I'm lucky, um, despite my own selfishness. Um, and it, it, so it, it, it takes a certain maturity or at least a discipline to do it because we so much like to hold on to our anger and our resentment. We so much like to hold on to our own sense of injustice and our sense of being uh, ripped off. And it is one of the flaws of the human brain. Um, you know, everything that we do as human beings in terms of the, the brain's function makes sense, but it doesn't make sense for everything. Um, for instance, our, you know, our negativity bias in the brain makes sense for survival, but it doesn't make sense in terms of love relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, our ability to compare and contrast all the time uh, makes sense uh, when, uh, when uh, looking for a place to settle down and, and pitch a tent or to where you're going to find food um, um, or to discover one tribe's use of tools and you want to use the tri- the, those tools for yourself. But it doesn't make sense in our modern world when we're constantly comparing, oh, the person, uh, everyone has a Tesla on my street and I don't. Uh, I must be a loser, um, right? So th- this idea of being of always being focused on what we don't have is a reason for suffering, a cause for a lot of our suffering. Nikon shows us that that's an illusion, and uh, but you but you have to do it because the tendency of the human mind is to default uh, to the functions of the brain, which is to uh, come up short, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, to feel envy, uh, to feel jealous, to feel ripped off. Um, and so anyway, so I, I love those two things mm-hmm. and it does take work and it's done very successfully in Japan with the prison population with drugs and alcohol problems and addiction. Uh, it's been very, very effective. Now, part of what I think is so smart about constructive living is the way that it focuses on the Marita, which is the doing, and the Nikon, which is the self-reflection, and how they sort of balance each other out. Um, so, so smart, especially when applied to a Western audience. How does this PACT, is that something PACT is also interested in, is balancing this reflection with, this, with the doing? I, you know, I haven't really thought about that, uh, but I suppose it is by our approach, because we, you know, we're therapists, so we're, we're not simply 
mechanics that are telling people, uh, you know, um, and leading them towards a philosophy of operating as a couple. And that, uh, you know, one level uh, impact, um, there is no excuse for bad behavior. There is no excuse for falling down on the job. There is no excuse for being unfair in, in the relationship because the, the system must operate um, with fairness and justice and sensitivity. It must be collaborative and cooperative. It must share power. So in that sense, we, we have an enforcement on the doing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter whether you're angry with your partner. Uh, if they did something, you say thank you. If you did something that hurt them, you apologize, you fix it. It doesn't matter if you think you didn't do it. If your partner feels it, uh, the relationship comes first, uh, you do it anyway. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter whether your partner neglected you all this time. Um, uh, you you create treason uh, in a relationship. You cheat or lie, you go to jail, right? We, we don't, uh, in that sense, there is no excuse. So on one level, it's the doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the behavior, but we're also very interested in people understanding themselves, where they came from, their adaptation, um, and normalizing it, not pathologizing it, understanding how the mind works, understanding how their mind works, understanding and predicting um, what they're going to do based on memory and and trauma and uh, and how that may or may not limit their life and their choices. Um, so it's very insight-oriented. Um, understanding their partner, the animal they're with, uh, as different and separate from themselves and becoming focused um, and incompetent uh, at, uh, at handling uh, that person in the best way, right? Um, and so that takes understanding. That takes, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a constant looking, paying attention, being present, and, uh, and, and also being in the present moment, by the way, which is why we have people face-to-face, eye-to-eye. One of the reasons is to uh, place them in the present moment where they can actually be in real time or close as possible, and that's where interactive regulation is, uh, is in real time. Uh, people are mostly in their heads, either in the past or predicting the future. So, so it's very much a combination of insight, outside, um, of purpose-centered and behavior-focused and, and character, uh, you know, which is principle-based, but also understanding, softening, um, uh, having compassion uh, for oneself and the other, um, uh, right? Um, and right-mindedness. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so um, thank you for asking the question because I think we do uh, we do integrate those two things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, listening to uh, David on the podcast, what was that like for you to hear his voice again? Um, oh, gee, I miss I miss him. Um, we, we've had a little bit of back and forth over the years. I don't I don't know how much he's aware. Uh, of uh, how I've, I've taken his work and ex- expanded on it. Um, I've even given some talks on, on uh, Marita and Nikon and uh, have been surprised that uh, some of his minions have been out there in the audience and really appreciate mm. that, that, I'm, uh, that I, I still uh, am a spokesperson for him. Um, 
and so, like I said, he's a, he's a one-of-a-kind character. Um, when people hear him talk, they'll, they'll hear how soft he talks, um, how gentle he talks. Uh, and, um, uh, uh, and so uh, I'm glad he's, I was heartened that he's alive and, and well, and, uh, and, and that as I listened to him, I got drawn back in. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the whole thing of um, Rita, and and so I started reading um, Plain Ball and Running Water again, mm. and recommending it to people, uh, because I think that's one of his. Best. I mean, they're all good, but one of my favorites is Plain Ball and Water on Running Water. Yeah, I would also recommend his Audible book because he reads oh, it. Good, and oh. he's really, it's really, it, you really can immerse yourself in the experience. I don't think I. I mean, he's up there with the people that I've talked to who just embody what they're talking about. I, yes. I, he is really a testament, especially because of how long he's been doing this and how yes. dedicated he's been. And his writing is just immense. I mean, if you look at it, it it's very inspiring um, to, 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 to just kind of um, fall into his work for a little while. And I really strongly encourage people uh, because not only do you get excited by the ideas, but you can't help but kind of begin to live it in your own life in a different, in a, it, it just impacts your life. It's very, very exciting. Uh, it, it really does. And I'm going to get the audio book. Um, you know, David, uh, I think I told you this before, but David actually failed me um, in, in that two week residential uh-huh. thing. And I had never, I mean, I, I wasn't somebody who identified with failing ever, you know, uh, I, I always saw myself as if I put my mind to something, I would succeed. I'd pass. I'd, you know, I'd do it. And he failed me, mm. and I was crushed for a long time. And even the failing made a positive impact on me. Um, it taught me something. I, you know, I feel moved even now as I talk about it. You know, um, uh, failing isn't always a bad thing, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, and I know why I failed too. It was exactly the, the reason I was doing the uh, the training to begin with. Uh, I got I got a little too caught up in my emotion. I, I just couldn't shake it. I you know mm. uh, it was just really hard. Uh, but it made such an impact. And I also want to tell people that after doing a week or two of Nikon, it, it the after effect. Even though I was crushed, <laughs> and I left this residence, you know, just feeling so deflated. Um, everywhere I went, I felt supported everywhere. Mm-hmm. When I rode back on the bus, on the airplane, this lasted for a good few weeks. Um, uh, you know, uh, the after effect of practicing Nikon is one of just feeling whole, uh, feeling, uh, safe in the world, feeling, uh, uh, not alone. And then of course, if you don't do it, it, it fades like anything else. Mm-hmm. So, and, yeah. and just to wrap up, I mean, I got to say, Marita, you know, for for those of us who procrastinate or for those of us who, you know, ha- get get too much in our heads about how the presentation of things, Marita also has a really profound impact on if you want to start a project and then to balance it out with an icon. It's really a really profound stuff. It's uh, yeah. So, Stan, I just thanks so much for today and for reflecting on all this with me. And um, this has been the pack special topics podcast. It's great talking to you, Stan. Thanks, Jason.
Hello, and welcome to the PAC Special Topics Podcast. My name is Jason Brand, and I'm the host of the podcast. And um, today we are fortunate enough and uh, really glad to have David K. Reynolds, the creator of Instructive Living on the podcast today. And um, David, you know, I really appreciate and how you make yourself accessible for interviews of this kind. And what you're probably not aware of is today is actually, this is actually the inaugural the first episode of the PACT Special Topics Podcast. So I really appreciate you being here today. Well, thank you for calling. And I, I can't think of a better person and um, methodology to start with uh, than Constructed Living because it um, it has been very um, a good way to face the anxieties and the fears of starting something new and and just just doing it. Um, and so uh, so having you here and having Constructive Living as a way to start is really wonderful. Um, one other note as we're starting is um, Stan Packin, who is um, the creator of PACT, he, he sent his hello, and um, he actually trained with you um, yes. years back. Yes. Um, so I thought a good way to begin was just to ask you um, if you're still afraid of, of flying, of flying an airplane. That's a, that's a great question because it leads it leads me into um, the problems of of talking about something. Um, if I say yes, I am, it makes it sound as though I am always afraid of flying. Or if I say no, it sounds like I'm never afraid of flying. Um, the the fact of the matter is, um, in constructive living, we have a, a term called many me's, which means that um, I keep changing. And in this specific instance. Uh, sometimes I'm afraid to fly and sometimes I'm not. There are moments, for example, when I'm on a flight and it's going very smoothly when I have no fear at all. Um, and there are other moments uh, when I'm scared to death to even get on a flight, but I do. The important thing is um, is that when I need to fly, I can fly whatever the feelings are. And to give a, a, an example, now one, one year... I was flying from Los Angeles to San Francisco, and the fellow sitting next to me had been through therapy. And he thought that the reason why he could fly was because he was feeling comfortable about flying. And I thought that the reason why he could fly was because he bought a ticket, but that's, that's another story. Um, and so anyway, he was, he was feeling relatively comfortable. This is a true story. Um, we started to take off, and about halfway down the runway, the pilot hit the brakes and the plane screeched to a halt and we turned off onto a side runway and the pilot came on the intercom and he said, ladies and gentlemen, we have a small problem up here in the cockpit with a computer so we're going to go around and try it again. That's literally what he said. Mm. And suddenly, everybody on the plane was afraid to fly. Uh, As far as I could tell, even the flight attendants were very quiet. And so, um, slowly, we, we... circled around and took off again and the um the fellow sitting next to me was thinking oh dear god if we ever make it safely to san francisco i've got to find a therapist who can help me get over my feelings so i can get comfortable so i can fly back to los angeles and what was going on in my mind was uh, dear god if we make it safely to san francisco i've got to buy that ticket to get back to los angeles 
Mm. So that's the difference, uh, essentially, between what that neurotic fellow was going through and what I was going through. The focus either on the fixing the feeling so you can do something or just doing it. Yeah. Yeah, and when you say, I have to, get, I have to go buy another ticket, do you mean that you're excited to buy another ticket or, or that you're nervous about buying another ticket? What, 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 what do you mean by that? I mean um, that I've got to go up to some ticket person and give him some money and get a ticket. <laughs> I love it. And then, and and for you, that's the that's the that's doing it. That yeah. that's just what you have to do. Yeah. Because and my understanding is that your work requires you to fly quite a bit. I mean that you're in Japan yes. a lot. And yes, Australia, New Zealand, all around. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. And how how is this how is this informed by uh, the work of Marita, um, which I understand is one of the foundational parts of constructive living. Yeah. Marita, uh, the three themes that we get from Marita are um, accept reality, know your purpose, and do what you need to do. So um, in terms of flying, um, you, you keep in mind where you're headed and why you're, getting, why you're going to get there. And you keep in mind what you need to do about that, and then you just go ahead and do it. It's it's um, simple to talk about, and it's quite um, uh, difficult to do. Fortunately, in Morita, there are some hints that uh, he offers people. Um, um, Morita, by the way, was a psychiatrist in Japan in around the 20s uh, okay. who developed this therapy. And he, he and his followers and I have invented some um, assists, some things that help people in the first stages of their learning this method, to get through their feelings, to handle their feelings. Now, one of the um, stages, one of the um, things that, that's helpful is distraction. I, I remember one of the times that I was comfortable when flying was when I was helping this little girl who was sitting next to me on the plane. She was really afraid to fly. And I spent um, pretty much the whole trip uh, distracting her and talking with her and keeping her um, keeping her from being worried about the flight. And in the doing of that, it was distracting me. So I was relatively comfortable with the flight. Another hint that uh, Marita offers people with feelings is uh, that feelings decline over time. Nobody has the same uh, feeling with the same intensity forever and ever. Uh, feelings fade over time. Everybody has that experience. And so just by waiting, uh, some feelings can be handled. Mm -hmm. um, mom, mom, I remember when, when my father died, uh, mom felt this tremendous sense of grief. Um, and then uh, as the weeks and months passed, the grief uh, became less and less until their, uh, the day of their wedding anniversary. And it uh, up it came again. And uh, and then again, waiting uh, over weeks, it passed, and his birthday, and so forth. Those events re-stimulated the feeling, but it wasn't that she was constantly grieving over a long period of time. It, it, it's it's the way feelings happen; they they come and they go. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's one thing that I really liked in your writing is that there's is that oftentimes. Um, in Western psychotherapies, there's this idea that feelings somehow are need to be unearthed and that they're there without us knowing, and that it's the job of the therapist to kind of 
to kind of fish them out and help us process them. But but you have a you have a different take on that. Is yeah, that that scares me because every time the uh, the therapist asks, "How do you feel about that?" in trying to uh, re-stimulate a feeling, uh, back comes the feeling. Or, or actually, it's, it's not the same feeling. It's a feeling that has the same name. It's again that that word game that makes everything sound like it's alike. But uh, you can still call it anxiety or fear or whatever. But it's a brand new feeling that emerges out of somewhere. And then um, hopefully you, you can wait a while and it'll go away, at least until the therapist asks you again, how do you feel about that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and my, so my reaction to this just, you know, when I first started looking at it and uh, thinking about it was, well, then what do I do with all the feelings that come up as I'm anticipating doing something that scares me, for example? Yeah, that's, it's really neat that those feelings come up. For example, if you're, if you're uh, sh- feeling nervous about giving a speech or, or doing an interview on the, uh, on the Internet, um, uh, it's great. Uh, you really ought to feel nervous um, because it's telling you that you want to do well, that you don't want to make a mistake, that you that you care about how it's, it's going to happen. So, so when the feelings appear, when they when they show up, um, treat them like we suggest. Treat them like a, a rainy day, like weather. Feelings are natural phenomena, and and so you don't. Uh, we had weather here last week in Coos Bay, Oregon, and um, I didn't see anybody running outside trying to fix the weather, telling the rain to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, what you do is you notice that it's raining, and you pay attention to that, and you dress accordingly. You do all the preparations that you need to do. Maybe you carry an umbrella with you, um, um, but you don't, you don't try to make it go away. And, mm-hmm. and so uh, if we handle feelings the same way, it, they cause you a lot less trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this goes back to your, the flying, the first question where you said, sometimes I'm afraid and sometimes I'm not yeah. afraid. So, yeah. And the goal isn't, to, isn't one of necessarily mastering it so that the feelings go away. Right. It's, it's being present or being, uh, being in the reality of whatever does come up. Yeah, I, I care. I, I want to make it alive to the place that I'm going to in, in that airplane. And um, I don't want to die. And those, are, those feelings remind me that, uh, that my life's important to me. Mm-hmm. And, and so, the, so where does, where is that, so how does Nikon fit into this? So there's two parts to constructive living. Yeah. Um, and the first one is Marisa, which is yeah. based on, on the work of uh, the, I'm not going to get his right his his full name, but Marisa's work in Japan yes. is 20. Right. And then there's Nikon therapy. Um, and how does that fit into the part about about particularly what to do with feelings? Okay. Um, Nikon was developed by a a, a Japanese named Ishin Yoshimoto, and Yoshimoto was used to be a businessman, and then he became a priest, and um, he he thought. His idea was pretty straightforward that um, that people don't recognize how much they're receiving from the world, how much the world uh, does for them, and, and, and the world is again a general abstract term, but we're talking about specific individual people and forks and telephones and so forth. And so he's saying, um, 
you need to pay more attention to the reality um, of what the world is doing for you and try to pay more attention to the ways that you've caused trouble to other people uh, and things that um, that have been supporting you all along, uh, even though you haven't been paying attention to, to their support. Um, let me give an example that compares uh, Morita and, and Nikon and and uh, ecologists and uh, and neurotic people. Uh, if you see a dripping faucet, for example, um, a neurotic person, uh, what we call shinky people, uh, it comes from shinkeshi to the Japanese word for a particular kind of neurotic person. But if a neurotic person sees a dripping faucet, the neurotic person uh, thinks something like, oh gosh, there's that faucet dripping again. If I don't turn it off, uh, I'm going to be nervous about what's going to happen and um, and I'll feel guilty about not turning it off. So i got to run over and turn off that faucet. And if a moritist sees that dripping faucet, the Moritas just walks over and turns off the faucet because that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And if a Nikon person sees that dripping faucet, the Nikon person says, isn't it neat that water has been taking care of me? It's, thanks to water, um, I can uh, drink, I can take a bath, I can wash my clothes. Um, and there are lots of ways that water supports, takes care of me. And the least I can do in return to that water is to uh, shut the faucet off so that it's the water, so I save the water. And, and the ecologist uh, turns off the dripping faucet because he knows that uh, dripping faucets waste water and you don't want to waste water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a lovely illustration. And it brings up sort of an aside to me, which is that I was wondering, so many of your books are use the term water yes. in the title. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, what is it about that metaphor that sort of that ties all this together, or, or I don't know if it does tie it together, but but I'm assuming that it, it has it has deep meaning for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So can, can you talk a little about about that metaphor? Sure. A lot of my books have water in the, in the title. What I like about water is that uh, uh, when water runs into a problem, if it's a, a stream, for example, when it runs into a rock or uh, some sort of uh, impediment, something that slows it down, it doesn't it doesn't stop. And um, and uh, worry about this terrible rock that appeared emerged in its its bed. It uh, it just flows around it, and it it gets on about its its purpose. It keeps flowing toward the toward the end of the where, where it's going to empty out into the bay, for example. Mm-hmm. And and in the doing of that, little by little, it wears down that rock. So instead of stopping life. Um, to, to, to when a problem appears, uh, if we follow the example of uh, water, uh, we just keep on ahead, do the best we can, and and watch what happens to that problem. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, and I definitely hear the Marisa part of that, which is you know you, you you keep going and you keep doing because that's that's what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the night and is is. Is that is the Nikon also embodied in, in the metaphor of water? Yeah, and, and Nikon and Nikon suggests that it's that water. It keeps doing its job for us or for whatever. It keeps uh, it. It's that support that continues whether the rock appears or not. Uh huh. Okay. Great. Great. And, you know, one area when, when I've been thinking about this when when uh, working with people has been. It, it, 
in 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 constructive living, do you do you work with people on feeling around um, with with Nikon? I mean, do you do you stop and somebody says, you know, God, I'm just feeling so um, angry at this person, and then do, do you have them is 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 do you have them do Nikon exercises as part of the as part of constructive living? Yes, the the um, the three essential Nikon. Um, exercises are uh, to pay attention to uh, what you're receiving from that person, what you've returned to that person, and what troubles you've caused that person. By the way, you notice that uh, what troubles that person has caused you isn't one of the themes that Nikon focuses on because uh, we, we're good at remembering, for some reason, we humans are good at remembering the troubles that other people cause us and we quickly forget the troubles that we cause them. And we're good at remembering um, what we've done for other people, and we quickly forget, uh, or we tend to forget, uh, what other people have done for us. Mm-hmm. So uh, Nikon is, just like Morita, is aiming to make us more realistic. So when, when I'm dealing with uh, somebody who has a lot of anger toward someone else, uh, one of the things I'm going to have them look at is um, what that other person has done for them and what they've done for that other person and what troubles they've caused that other person. If, if you're working with quarreling couples, for example, um, they're going to be focused on uh, the troubles that that other person has caused them. Each, each of them is, is focused on that and how much they've done for that other person. All the while they've been uh, um, hurt by that other person's actions. So asking them to look again at um, what troubles they've caused that other person and um, how much they've received from that other person, um, that may give them some surprises. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and then at the, do you – what do you do? – so I've been thinking about this. How do you make the – how do people then make the leap from that idea to uh, – from the idea of that other person – actually has done quite a bit yeah. for me yeah. through the leap to I, I the world is actually constantly doing for me in ways yeah. that I I don't take I don't pay close enough attention to yeah I like that great I like the shock value in mm-hmm. in these sorts of things uh, uh, if, if a person comes to me um, complaining about how, how all their life problems are were caused because of the terrible treatment that their parents gave them when they were kids um, I'm going to shock them with questions like who fed you and who took you to the hospital when you were hurt and so forth. So, somebody in in your past uh, did those essential things for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that maybe it was even the person who was uh, who was also cruel to you. Mm-hmm. Okay? And 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 they they get that surprised look on their face because they haven't really considered they've been building a case against that other person mm-hmm. in their minds and using that as an excuse for, for the problems that they have. So um, the, the shock value of it, the, the surprise that, in fact, um, that, that other possibility is there that they haven't even considered um, has some, some real value. Now, and then, and then oh, extend, extending that to... Extending that to um, Knives and forks and spoons and drawers and so forth. Um, and that's that's an extra step, and we have assignments that, for example, to uh, 
clean out a drawer, and as you return each item to the drawer, you thank it for something specific that it did for you in the past. Uh, that that kind of specific assignment can help expand a bit on the on the notion of of having received from the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and you, um, CL instructors call themselves instructors and not mm-hmm. therapists. Mm-hmm. And the people that they're working with are students mm-hmm. and not patients or clients. Mm-hmm. Well, clients we have to use sometimes because uh, we get paid, but um, but really it's it's a matter of teaching because um, it, as far as we're concerned, the problem with people is it is isn't some innate problem. It's a it's an education problem. It's a it's a misdirection of attention, and CL is going to help them. Uh, the, the students that we're working with redirect their attention to um, to reality rather than the, the myths that they've been taught. Mm-hmm. And, and do people um, take offense when you say, "Well, you should really thank your parents"? You, know, you put together this master narrative, <laughs> uh-huh. but but you know, I'm telling you today, like, thank them for feeding you. Yeah. What, what happens? Um, Surprise. Uh, the the question really is. Um, how much is your life working for you right now? If if your life is really um, going very well for you, and and uh, then why go to all this extra trouble? Um, but if there's some there's some problems that you could be working on that 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 uh, CL might be able to help you with, then it might be worth the effort to um, to do these assignments that. That seem really strange. For for example, they might get an assignment. Uh, quarreling couples are going to get the assignment. Uh, Ten thank yous a day to the the person that you're quarreling with. Mm-hmm. Um, and and by the way, it's always uh, uh, along with it comes the the uh, the truth that you don't have to feel grateful when you say thank you. All you have to do is notice what that other person is doing for them. That's the reality. That's behavior. That's something you can see. Mm-hmm. And whether you're feeling grateful or not, um, you thank them for that for that thing. And when I was growing up as a kid, that's, that's really what I was taught, that when somebody does something for you, you thank them. Well, um, you know that with quarreling couples, um, if they get an assignment to do 10 thank yous a day, um, each of them is, is going to count. They're going to keep track. They're going to make slash marks till they get their 10 in so that they can say that they've done the assignments. And and they probably wouldn't give an 11th thank you for, for the world. But um, that's okay. I don't mind. All I want them to do is start noticing, for whatever reason, um, that the other person is doing something for them mm-hmm. instead of focusing on uh, the troubles that that other person is causing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I find I mean, this find it very exciting as you lay it out. And I'm wondering, how did you get involved in this, and and how do you, and what's your what's your what's the what's it like to do this kind of work over over the course of of your career, which you which you yeah doing? yeah, it's interesting. I I was in the Navy. I was a uh, radioman on a, on a ship that was. I had, I had applied actually for shore duty in London, so the Navy put me on a ship and sent me to Japan. Uh, not exactly what I hoped for, but uh, when I got to Japan, I was really interested in the people. I've, I'm a lot like the Japanese in, in, in the sense that I, at least I have a lot of moments that are like the Japanese moments. Um, uh, uh, I like social relations to, to 
go smoothly. Um, I, I, um, I care a lot about what other people think about me. Um, and there are other similarities. So I thought that um, if I could understand the Japanese mind, I could understand my own mind better. So when my hitch was up in the, in the Navy, I went to UCLA with the goal of understanding the Japanese mind. And I was, uh, I entered psychology and, um, in those days in psychology, they were running rats through mazes. And I thought, uh, gee, the Japanese mind's a lot more complicated than a rat. Mm. So I shifted from, um, psychology to anthropology. And, um, quite by chance, uh, a Morita therapist came to the United States and he was working in, uh, the suicide prevention center for, doing some research and I was working in the suicide prevention center at the time and some side work that I was doing as a student and we got to know each other and became friends and so when I went to do my uh, dissertation I did my dissertation on uh, Morita psychotherapy in Japan and that Morita therapist uh, Kenshiro Ohara uh, uh, helped me settle down in Japan and introduced me to Morita therapists and hospitals there and uh, the head of NIMH there and so forth. And so it's thanks to him that I got started in, in Morita therapy in detail. And I thought Morita therapy is a great um, way to get into the Japanese mind because Japanese people aren't likely to say what's really going on in their minds. But maybe in, in a therapy session, they'll open up a little bit and I'll be able to see what's more about what's going on in their minds. And the head of NIMH in Japan... Um, said to me, well, if you're studying Morita therapy, you, you really ought to study this thing called Nikon, because by comparing two Japanese therapies, uh, you'll understand both of them better. And so he sent me, essentially, to do um, Nikon therapy. And for for both of those therapies, the therapist insisted that that I do it not only as an outside observer for my dissertation, but that I undergo them as patient and treat other people using that therapy in Japan. And so as my language got a little better, I was able to do that too. Mm. Over the years, it's been, well, what, 50 years or so. It's it's, um, been a real learning experience, and I keep learning. Mm -hmm. And uh, and there's a whole rich history. I I think we'll let people go and look. I mean, the stories about both Marita and uh, I'm not going to get his name right, the creator of, of Nikon. Mm-hmm. Um, their stories are just fascinating in terms of where they come from and who they are mm-hmm. and what the actual, you know, what the training is like. Um, did you go through a, a, the, I was researching Nikon training, and it's actually two weeks of um, this sort of, you know, the kind of reflection that you're talking about where you, you ask the quest, you know, the three questions about for different stages of your life. Um, did you did you have you participated? Yeah, in those? I did that, and and then I and then uh, in, I went around with Yoshimoto and did the uh, interviews of of the people every every hour or so, uh, how, how they were reflecting on their lives too. So I've I've had the experience on both sides of that. Okay, great. Um, and I I wanted to focus a little bit on 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 couples here, and you have this great quote that I wanted to read. You got into it a little bit. Um, but I'm hoping we can go a little bit further with it. Uh, you say, the relationship does not exist. We work on what Fred does for Mary and what Mary does for Fred. 
And my question about that is, how might this help Mary and Fred uh, raise children with less conflict, have less, you know, fights about money, um, you know, have a better sex life? Like, how do these things, how does looking at the world that way actually make things better or easier for couples? Okay, well, first let's throw away the notion that, that there's such a thing as a relationship. I've, I've never seen a relationship. I've never seen a personality. Uh, all I ever see is, is what um, Mary does with Fred and what Fred does with Mary. The notion re- relationships and personalities in such abstract terms as, as those, I, I don't know how to work on them. Um, the idea that you can work on them. What, what usually that means is that people will sit in a, a therapy session and talk about um, the other person, for example, or what, what goes on with that other person. And, I, and I'd rather not do that. I think it's, it's a lot easier to sit and talk about what goes on between Mary and, and Fred than, than to look in great, concrete, specific, realistic detail of what Mary does uh, when Fred's around, um, and and the same Fred for Mary. So, um, uh, do you fix? Who's fixing the meals? Uh, who fixed the meals today? Um, how many times today did you say uh, some sort of affectionate term? I love you. I care about you. I appreciate the work that you do. Um, what kinds of gifts have you given or received? From the other person in 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 the past week, for example. Mm-hmm. So we keep specifying down the actions of of Mary and Fred uh, with regard to one another and to their children too. <clears throat> the um, the reality is we can't we can't um, control other people perfectly. We can't make other people ideally do everything that we want them to do. Um, what we can do is um, the most appropriate things that we can toward that other person and hope and wish that that other person does the nice, appropriate things toward us. And so that's what's going to go on with, with uh, Mary and Fred with regard to their kids, for example. Uh, what sorts of things are they going to uh, teach their kids? How, how are they going to uh, model their behavior for their kids? Because everybody knows that the kids are watching what Fred and Mary are doing with one another. And probably... Um, that's going to have at least as much effect as what um, Mary and Fred say to their kids about what they should be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's such a beautiful, like, sort of walking the walk, talking the talk kind of thing where you, you're, you're, but you're both saying, you know, uh, this is what needs to be done and that we should be thankful or we should, we should notice, I guess would be a better way of saying it, mm-hmm. we should notice the things that other people do for us. Yeah, it's, it's reality. How kind of you to be making this phone call today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and how nice it is that you're, you're here to do it. Um, <laughs> and the, the – okay, so in PACT, one thing that we do is we have people sit face-to-face, mm-hmm. and they notice, each, they notice each other's micro-expressions, or they mm-hmm. pay close attention. The idea being that the words that come out of people's mouths are often um, less true – than what we see on people's faces. Yeah. And so in the moment, you're actually asking people to respond to the reality of what's happening between them in a different kind of way. Right. Good. And this seems like some, this seems to have some overlap with, 
with the Marita idea um, of of what's the reality of what's happening. Yeah, it's it's all it's reality. What they're nobody's ignoring what they're saying. That's that's part of reality too. Mm-hmm. But but that's not the whole of reality. The whole of reality is um, includes uh, their their gestures and their eye blinks and whatever that you're paying attention to. And and the the more skillful you get at paying attention to reality, the more um, realistic you become. Mm-hmm. So rather than letting uh, whatever feeling bubbles up as you're listening to the words, you've got more information there than you had before. Mm-hmm. And, and you talk about reality confidence, and that seems sort of a, a, a foundational element yeah. of all of this. But yeah. What do you mean when you talk about reality confidence? When I was a kid, when I was a kid, maybe 14, 15, something like that, I, I noticed that um, that I wasn't perfect. <laughs> um, people kept expecting me to be full of self-confidence and to feel good about myself and so forth. And, and I knew, even as a kid, that sometimes I'm a really nice guy and sometimes I do stupid things and selfish things and, and uh, harmful things. And so why should I always... Um, consider myself as a, a, a great human being. That It just wasn't realistic, it seemed to me. And so uh, <clears throat> as I grew older, I, I kept getting that information. And the information that people were telling me was that I had to feel good about myself and feel confident about myself and feel that I could do anything in order for me to do something. And And that just turned out to be unrealistic because I find that I can't fly across this room. There are lots of things that I can't do. And there are lots of moments when I'm not a, a really um, a wonderful human being. And so um, why, should I, why should I feel good about myself and, and uh, treasure myself and put myself first um, all the time when that's not realistic? And um, one of the things that I learned as I got older is that um, I felt good about myself and uh, uh, more confidence after I succeeded, not before. It wasn't a matter that that I had to feel confident and then try something and then succeed. It was a matter of uh, after I succeeded, at least for a while, I would feel good about the success and feel good about myself. And so that um, that self-focused, feeling-focused um, approach, which which really permeates American culture because we're so affluent. And, and it's exemplified by the President of the United States. That that feeling self-focused uh, self just isn't realistic. And it's much better and much safer and much more um, solid to realize that um, I'm worth something because I'm part of reality. That reality that, that keeps supporting me, that keeps taking care of me, that keeps... Um, uh, forgiving uh, my errors, uh, I'm part of that reality, and so as part of that reality, I I, I get some um, some honor and esteem, uh, not because of, of this person, this little person who's on the end of the phone line, but because I'm I'm just an, another aspect of reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know one thing I really like and really appreciated about in, in the writing is the idea. That this takes some pressure off being perfect. Yeah, it's so nice. 
Yeah, it is it, it, because we just can't live up to that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're reminded of all that's supporting you that goes on around you um, yeah. in the moment. It's, it's yeah. really, uh, it's really nice. And the um, in your it, you 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 talk about you because in your writing, in your early writing, it seems that you really uh, took up Western psychotherapies mm. um, and. And then I, I, I don't know, remember where I saw it, but somewhere I saw that, you know, somebody said, well, you know, that people were asking you about that. You know, do you think all psychotherapy, you know, Western psychotherapies are this or, or, or don't have value? And you, 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 you talked about being in the, that at, that was you at one point, and then this is you at another point. Yeah. Um, and um, I really, I really enjoyed that as well. Can you, can you? Talk yeah. a little about that idea. In the 70s, when there was a lot of uh, Freudian insight therapy stuff going on, where there were supposed to be uh, hidden parts of us that only therapists could could bring out. It, it was sort of magical, uh, religion-like um, uh, approach to things, and I and I just I didn't just didn't believe. In fact, some of the I was t- teaching in a USC medical school at the time, and some of the stupidest people that I, I'm sorry, that I met in the world were, were, were some of them now, not all of them, were psychiatrists. And, and so why should, I, why should I believe what somebody else is telling me is going on in my mind when, when I don't see it and they don't seem particularly insightful? Um, I gave a lecture to, to a Freudian group a long time ago in Los Angeles and uh, it, it, it was during lunch, and during lunch, they were the most complaining people about their patients and about their their fees and and so forth that I've I, that I've ever heard in my life. And I thought, gee, um, these these are guys who should be so full of insight that um, I would expect them to be comfortable and happy all the time, but mm. but um, they weren't, and and so. Um, I was opposed to uh, a kind of narrow definition of psychotherapy, which seemed like um, the, the, the clients were uh, kind of stupid and need to be, needed to be informed about what was really going on in their world. And, and actually, that was helpful for a lot of people because um, getting some, some handle on what's going on in the real world is, is better than not having any. Mm-hmm. However, um, there were even better alternatives, and so I was I was opposed to uh, some of the early simple-minded ways of doing therapy. But now you see, you see it's it's that was once in the 70s. Now you see um, uh, behavior therapy. You see back. You see a lot of uh, therapies that that pay more attention to reality and less attention to just sitting and talking and thinking about um, how the world is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, and I, the, I don't, I just didn't, this, this question, um, I was wondering about, and, and you, so not only has the world evolved, but you also have, you, you also have changed it's not. It's, it's that you're not. It's not. The world's not the same as when you were writing those things. And are you also not the same? Is that sure? At seventy-eight, 
and having gone through three operations this year, um, yeah, I've changed. If uh-huh. I wouldn't, uh, uh, it would be impossible not to change. And as I've seen changes in the way therapy is done, and I've seen changes in in how the Japanese people in general have become more Americanized year by year by year. Um, and I've seen how people respond to um, the books and the, the teaching and the lectures and so forth. Um, I, I have to change because um, if, if I want to be realistic, and that's the goal of, of constructive thing, to make people more realistic, um, it involves um, adapting to how reality keeps changing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think about this with couples around the reality, reality changing around infidelity. Uh-huh. And what you often have in those situations is one partner who, um, who, who wants to do right in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. I'm doing better mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And one partner who's saying, um, you know, you really hurt me in the past and mm-hmm. how can I trust? Mm-hmm. And I wonder, for those, how does how does CL deal with the idea of, um, of of you know I need to take accounting for what I did in the past, yeah. and I need to also um, live in the moment today. Yeah. How, how do those ideas? Work? How do you do those ideas? Okay. The, rea- the reality is you can't change the past. The the, the past is fixed once. Once it, something happens, it happens, and it can't be undone. Okay, so so it's very important what, what what you do right now because that's going to drift into the past and it's going to be unchangeable. Okay, the the only thing that's possible is to to review, to look again, uh, find a different perspective on what happened in the past. That's possible. It doesn't actually change what happened, what the behaviors of the past but it changes the way one looks at that. And so what you have to work on is the person who needs to um, find a more um, satisfying perspective on the past. So that means um, the person who is complaining about uh, the partner's infidelity in the past, that that person himself or herself uh, needs to um, do some more Nikon on that person, and not to ignore, or not to deny, not to um, suppress uh, ideas of what happened in the past, but to get a a bigger picture than than the one that they're focusing on. If they focus on infidelity or whatever, um, they can narrow down that perspective and and keep hurting and keep blaming and... um, and use it as a as a as a tool against their partner. On the other hand, um, when they see that, um, for example, even I've I've worked with uh, a, uh, a rape survivor, and uh, one of the things that we we looked at, which really surprised her, was was, was those people that came, the emergency medical people, that came and helped get her uh, to the hospital, and the hospital people who took care of her after it. So it, 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 it was a terrible experience, and nobody is denying that it was a terrible experience. But that there, was also, there were other elements, too, that uh, 
that when you look at the whole of reality, you get a, a, a bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the person who is in the position of having done the who, the, the the person who who committed the infidelity. Yeah. Um, it seems that their role is is in certain ways more straightforward in terms of doing in, in terms of in terms of being in reality uh, in a different kind of way. Yeah, they need to they need to apologize mm-hmm. because that's a trouble that they caused their partner, mm-hmm. and and they need to perhaps promise not to do it again or whatever. Okay, and they need to keep showing um, by whatever means available, uh, parking the car in the garage or. Um, or uh, mowing the lawn, or um, sewing sewing the rips in the shirt, or, or whatever. Uh, keep showing um, that 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 the other person uh, deserves their uh, attention and affection and and their effort, their work. Mm-hmm. Great, right now now going back to one of you know what you said about this is easy easily said, difficult to practice. Yeah, it, 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 this really does sound like a practice. Um, yes. And um, and does it scare people away? The idea that you know the, of of the challenge of all of this. Yeah, it's uh, constructively living is relatively easy to understand intellectually, and really hard to do uh, moment by moment, day by day. No, nobody that I know of does it perfectly all the time. So again, the question arises: um, What is this effort worth? Uh, if there's something important that you need to get done in your life, uh, do it. I, ha- I had, for example, a, a, a client, a student, who was uh, working on her dissertation at a university, and she she wasn't really working on it. Instead of writing her dissertation, she was watching TV all day. So she, she showed up, and she wanted some help with that problem. And so her assignment was... Um, Every day, when she could turn on the TV and watch it for an hour, and then after she watched it, she was to unplug it from the outlet and carry the TV. She was a little portable. Carry the TV over to her closet, put it in the closet, and pile cushions on top of it in the closet, and and then go back and sit at her desk in front of the um, the papers that she needed to be writing for her dissertation, and then if she wanted to watch TV. Uh, it was okay, but she had to go to the closet and take the TV out of the closet, unpile the cushions, set the TV up, plug it in again, set up the antenna, and she could watch it for an hour. But when she finished, she had to pick it up and carry it back to the closet and um, cover it up again and so forth. And so it was it was more convenient for her. It was easier for her to sit at that desk and look at the uh, dissertation material than it was to be watching TV. That is, we made it harder for her to do the things she didn't want to do and made it easier for her to work on that dissertation. Mm-hmm. And she actually got her dissertation written eventually. So it, it was just a, a simple behavioral technique to make difficult the thing that she didn't want to do and make easier the thing that she wanted to do. And, and that goes through all of constructive we'll, we keep If you're working with an instructor... We'll keep giving hints about um, ways to make the behaviors that need to be done easier to do. Uh, play music while you're doing it or do it with friends or whatever. Um, so, so it's a little less taxing than, than one might think at first. 
Mm-hmm. And so those are ways those are ways to keep with the practice. It's, yeah. it's not to be confused with beha- cognitive behavioral therapy or behavioral therapy as much as there is an underlying practice yeah. that, that, and there are ways to, to make it so that that practice uh, goes more smoothly. Yeah, and, and uh, you don't even need a therapist. I mean, you don't even need a, an instructor, uh, really. What, what you need is uh, all the, almost, well, actually all the water books and a great many of the constructive living books um, have assignments and exercises that, that can be done on one's own. Mm-hmm. And that, that leads us to what resources are available for people uh, who want to learn more about uh, Marita and Nikon and constructive living. Yeah, the, the easiest way is probably you, you Google uh, constructive living or David K. Reynolds, and you'll find a wealth of material, lots of lots of material on the Internet. And the um, the books are available. They have a lot of assignments, exercises in them. And if if anyone wants to know the nearest constructive living instructor, we have about 300 in um, a, a lot of countries: uh, United States, Canada, Poland, South Africa, um, of course Japan and uh, um, Australia, and so forth. Um, if they get in touch with me. Um, by email, easiest way, and that address is on the internet. Um, I can tell them the nearest one if if there is one nearby. But with 300 people, there's a lot of world out there, so there may not be one nearby. And the are there trainings available? I don't do trainings anymore. Again, at 78, um, I'm pretty much sticking to writing and lecturing. Um, uh, there's still trainings. <laughs> certification trainings that go on and, and I help with in, in Japan but but they're all done in Japanese so mostly Americans don't don't show up for those yeah, um, great well that's very helpful and your as we wrap up here um, your writing and your books are just full of so many great uh, stories that that further the ideas of constructive living and I'm wondering um, if any come to mind, especially as they relate to parents and child- children um, or couples. Well, let's see. I had I had a, a well, just simply a teacher who came in who said that uh, she didn't love her students equally in class, and so of course you can imagine that that her assignment was um, uh, that that it's fine not to love students equally, but to treat them, to behave toward them equally, whether you love them or not. I had a, a, a fellow come in whose sister was dying overseas, but he feared flying. But he wanted to get there before she died. And so his assignment was, while he was on a plane, to be working on um, the letter that he wanted to present to her when he got to her in, in, in England, it was. Um, and uh, to be considering the gifts and so forth that he was going to bring to her, so that so that his attention was on his purpose, uh, his goal, uh, while he was flying, so that he, he it distracted him from from his fears. Mm. Had a uh, breast cancer, uh, a lady who was um, expected to die within a year, and so. Uh, the focus again was on um, what needs to be done in this year that you've got. Um, who needs to be thanked? 
for the services that they've provided to you. And what specific um, practical things need to be done so that you're not leaving troubles for those behind. So the focus, again, again, when you're when you're working with somebody who's hurting, if you can get their focus on helping somebody else, hmm. if you can if you can find the little the little kid in the first grade who's shy and to find somebody else who's even more shy and help that other kid, um, the attention gets off of that self focus and out there into the world, and and a lot of the trouble goes away that way. Mm, so beautifully said. Well, David K. Reynolds, thank you so much for your time. Your, uh, there's so much writing of yours that's available, um, and it's just been wonderful talking to you today. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your call. Thank you. Thank you.